You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Happy holidays, everyone, from Oleander, Oregon. If you're in Oleander, happy holidays from 1130 KZOM AM, Oleander, Oregon. The place to be and be seen. This is such a dumb... Thank you, Radio Free Oleander, showcase of the best of Oleander, Oregon, 1130 KZOM. Here we go. Hey, everybody. It's me, DB, and me, and uh, the... Hey, everyone. And me. Also (laughs) DB. Actually, no. I am Farmer Dave, and I am doing well. I beat you to the question this week. Ah, you've discovered my kryptonite. Uh, guessing, guessing my, uh, guessing my questions. So that's because I'm all excited. All excited for the parade. Yes, everyone loves a parade. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know if uh, if just just showed up here on my e-scooter uh, outside of oblivion. Social distance. Social distance. Uh, wear your mask. Wash your hands. And. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a ghost town. I mean, yeah. I mean, not uh, no, no offense to the ghosts that actually live in the town, but it's it's uh, yeah, no, it's it's, it's kind of it, creepy. It, 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 it does seem to be. Uh, I've got my gas mask on. You can't hear really because I got my my microphone inside the gas mask. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it does seem to be a lot more. Um, gases and or fumes seem to be coming out from uh, the Eldritch uh, uh, Eldritch town today. Yeah, that that chartreuse uh, that chartreuse gas that smells something like rotten eggs, burnt spinach, cinnamon, and orange peels. I just a little bit of almond in there too. I I imagine uh, winter time it's it's lovely, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, and, uh, it seems like everyone set up some, uh, Amish, Amish mannequins, uh, scarecrows, whatever you want to call them. You know, you know, I'm looking at them, and they kind of look like, the, they kind of look like the people of town. Huh. Is, is this some sort of weird, strange mystery, or, uh, did, did everyone just, like, is everyone just saving their spot? Did, I don't. I don't get what's going uh, on. I don't know, but but you know, look at you know that one. It's got a really you know fancy dress there. That you know that looks, you know, with the red wig. That looks like felony. And uh-huh, uh-huh. you know that look, you know there that guy over there with kiss me on the dungeon master shirt. You know that looks like minion. Yeah, yeah. Well, snivelly. Actually, looking. really looks like minions. Yeah. For those who've never met. Uh, Jack uh, Stark, he kind of looks like a scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it looks like instead of coming to the parade, everybody just made scarecrows of themselves. There's a bale of hay with a uh, with a speedo on it over there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that could be and Crocs. Look, there's there's Crocs at the bottom. That could be lumberjack. All right. Well, well, this is this is a little bit different. I mean, I I thought we were gonna ride through town, but uh, yeah. looks like it's a little bit more interesting. Guessing who put out scarecrows and. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Did, did did I ever uh, tell you about the, the the time I just moved in? I was like a month or two. No. And I led the par- I led the parade, the the Veterans Day parade. 
I don't know if you have or not. I I, I think I've yeah. heard a story like this, but just just in case the listeners at home haven't heard this. Yeah, so, so I'm not a veteran or anything. It's just that I made a wrong turn coming out of A1 supermarket, and I ended up at the front of the parade. So, you know, I just acted like I was supposed to be there, but this time I get to be in it, even <laughs> if it looks like it's just you and me. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, huh. So, yeah, so, there's, so, there's the chambers over there, and there's... yeah. Teenage so, rebel auto supply over there, and, and and you see that see that one that looks like it's got a uh, got a, got a, like a towel wrapped around him. Yeah, that's actually that's a, a lava lava. That's a the the sort of the it's not a skirt, but it's what the traditional uh, Tongans wear. So that would be Louie Louie there. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, no, it's I'm I'm, I'm seeing a. Uh, and, and there, there's Cletus's favorite uh, Napa cap on, on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I... oh, look, look with the instruments. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There, that, that, that's the Stinky Duck band. Okay, all right, all right. I'm still getting to know people, so it's like I can I can point some people out. It's like, well, people who live over on uh, my side of town, over by the cemetery, I can point out pretty well. And it's like, there's yeah. the ma- the mayor. The mayor built a scarecrow? I thought he was supposed oh. to show up. Oh well, uh, 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 I, he's got a he's got a clip-on tie and a and a bottle of bourbon. Uh, yeah, I think that's the mayor. Oh yeah, yeah, and over there, way back over there, there's the false mayor. Even the false mayor made a scarecrow. We're like the only people here. <laughs> well, we know what that means. What? Have you looked underneath that float? Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. 1957 Mack truck. <laughs> we have a 1957 Mack truck decorated with flowers and an empty town. Hmm. I, Are you uh... thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> uh, probably not, because we'll get arrested. <laughs> no, we can't. There's no one here. Oh, you're right. Well, I don't have a license, Dave, so you're going to have to drive. I don't have a CDL license, but no one's here. All right. Well, car door sound effect, car door sound effect, engine effect, vroom. Look out for those scarecrows! <laughs> You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome back, and you are listening to Radio Free Oleander, and we have a very special guest uh, for November Pulp or Pulp Noir November, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. All right, you didn't tell me you were going to do it this way. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me, uh, all right, let's straighten off my shirt. Okay, good, good. <laughs> my name is Derek M. Cook, and I'm happy to be here. And I am one of the biggest fans of Robert E. Howard uh, in my house right now. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Howard. Uh, I'm a fellow writer uh, with David. Uh, you know, I 
fan of Lovecraft, fan of role-playing games, monster movies, classic horror, luchadors, the whole bit. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very good thing. Now, you are on, you are probably, I think, the hardest working guy in podcasting right oh. now. And what uh, what podcasts are you the most famous for? Well, okay, the podcast I'm most famous for? <laughs> oh, probably best well-known. Yeah, the one that I'm doing right now, I produce the Monster Kid Radio podcast, which, depending on when this goes out on the air... Uh, either is about to or just went to 500 episodes. We discuss nothing but classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies every week on the show. Uh, I've been doing it for over seven years now. Every episode, we've got a different person on to talk about one of their favorite monster movies or monster movie topics. Uh, David, you've been on the show and you know, I need to have you back on at some point in the future. It's just a blast. I love doing it. And I've met so many amazing people and talked about so many amazing movies over the years that I can't imagine doing anything else. You know, uh, monster kid radio was my gateway drug into listening to podcasting. Oh really? I was your first. Yeah. Huh? It, it, was, it was among the first, that's the first that I really followed. So, um, warning it's addictive, but I would, <laughs> I'd advise you people that if, if you know, you think you've got enough willpower, um, the secret is I, I listen to it when I make dinner. <laughs> now you guys have won several, uh, prestigious awards, uh, including the, the Rondo Hatton award and, um, the, uh, the, uh, silver bolo, correct? Uh, that is correct. Yes. Yeah. So we've only award, the only award that we have won is that the goats won a sash and tiara in the uh, Plague Doctor Parade, in the Oleander Plague Doctor Parade. But hopefully we will get some sort of award someday. See, I'm so jealous, too, because I really wanted that tiara. But, uh, well, you know, it, it would have looked good on you. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, you kind of mentioned we're, we're going to be talking about Robert E. Howard, but I am so excited about this show because we're going to be talking about Robert E. Howard in an aspect that we don't regularly hear him about. Uh, you know, you think of Conan, Sword and Sorcery, uh, Adventure, uh, King Call, Solomon Kane, even boxing stories. But we don't really think of much, or you don't hear a lot of discussions about Robert E. Howard the Poet. Exactly. I am really excited to do that, too. I mean, I think most people, like you said, know about Howard through the Sword and Sorcery contributions that he's made to uh, pop culture that we enjoy even today. But man, that guy cranked out some amazing and a lot of poetry. Yes. And and I think just a quick sort of primer that maybe some of the audience isn't aware of, but up until the 30s, really actually up until the 50s, post-World War II, Poetry was the art of the masses in America. And a lot of ways in the 50s, it's going to be replaced by popular music on the radio, especially when people start commuting in cars and have radios. But in the 20s and 30s before, there would be newspapers would run, usually on a Sunday, poems. And then the people of, you know, would get together, uh, usually on a Monday or a later day, and they would recite poems in the poetry circle. You know, family members would have their kids uh, memorize poems, and whoever memorized it and said it the best would get a prize or a special dessert. 
Uh, it's not until 1940s when we get the, the modernist movement that they start thinking that not only is poetry so hard that people, normal people can't write it, that normal people can't understand it. You know, in the 20s and 30s, poetry was very popular. Um, Amazing Tales ran poems in every issue that they ever published. Uh, we see that in uh, the modern, uh, or JAMA, the Journal of American Medicine Association. Every issue, they have a poem by a doctor or a patient. <laughs> Do they really? Over for them. Yeah. That's and awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, so poetry, I mean, especially during the Depression, because, you know, we get this idea in Depression from movies, you know, everybody gets around the piano and plays and sing, and that happened. You know, there definitely were, you know, in, in the, you know, the Ozarks and in the South, where everyone would get together for the fiddle jam. But a lot of people couldn't afford musical instruments. So the way that they got together, instead of singing a cappella, was poetry. So the idea that a, a pulp writer or a, a populist writer would do poetry in the 30s is not as strange. We don't divide fiction writers, poets, like we do now. You know, it's really interesting, and it's something that I hadn't considered until you told me about this before we started recording, that uh, poetry was so uh, widespread as an art form, as a form of entertainment, and, and even communication, I suppose, bringing people together. It's something that I hadn't considered, but it makes perfect sense, because of course there's no radio, there's no TV, there's no way to really you know, recreate uh music in a, on, a, on a mass mass scale or, or any of that kind of entertainment. So to have poetry be something that is used to bring communities together and, and entertain folks and that sort of thing, it makes perfect sense. Of course it does. It's just something I never considered. You know, and, and the thing too that I sort of forgot to mention is that sure there were poems like love poems, you know, but most of the poems were false stories. And that's where Howard just excels is he's going to tell you a full story in a page or two poem. Yeah. That's one of the things that I love about his poetry. I did not know about his poetry back when I first started discovering Howard, because again, it was all sword and sorcery, Conan, that sort of thing. I discovered Howard in high school. And if I had known that he was a poet on top of everything else, I think that just would have, <laughs> would have put him right over the top, man. I just would have been all over it. But yeah, it's, it's, pretty good stuff so so what are maybe some of your favorite or or first poems so i think if and i'll put this out there too if there's any listeners who have considered getting into any robert e howard poetry it might be easier to kind of go through some of the stuff that does reference some of the more familiar material and i'm referring to samaria uh, samaria is is a poem that is I mean, Samaria is a place where Conan takes place, and he's a Sumerian, that sort of thing. But Conan is not really mentioned in the poem itself, but it just kind of describes the the land and, and the mystery of the land and the world that Conan takes place in. And it is such a moving piece of literature. If you don't read this and get chills, I don't know what's wrong and you got to check something to go to the doctor or something. Cause there's something wrong with you. Cause this piece of poetry is so moving. 
and it's a gateway, yeah. like I said, because it starts with the sword and sorcery side of things, but then it also shows you that Howard knew how to paint with words beyond genre. Absolutely. And I think part of that was being a son of Texas and so used to, you know, seeing these beautiful vistas and environments and the, the environment being part of his life. It made sense to him that a, that his character is part of life, but B that he would celebrate it in poetry. It's some intense imagery that he gives you. And it's, it's just so good. I mean, I, I've got it up on my screen right now, and uh, I've been kind of trying to scan through it while we're talking here, and I just, I'm literally goosebumps, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, you know, another one too um, is that you know the final Solomon Kane story is a poem. Yeah. Yeah, and so is that sort of how he concludes the wraps up the Solomon Kane story is, and there, I think there's several versions, but he finally did come on with it. He was happy with. Yeah. And it's as good and a full tale as any of his Solomon Cain stories. And I love his Solomon Cain stuff. Yeah. And Solomon Cain's another one of the characters that he's known for, right? I mean, that character appeared in how many short stories over the years? He's probably not as prolific as, say, like Conan in them or as popular. But Solomon Cain was another fantastically written character that Howard did. And. You know, Howard was known to bring poetry into a lot of his stories, but you're right. The Solomon Cain's poetry, again, he's painting with words, man. He's giving you a story. He's setting you up. He's giving you a complete image of what's happening, and it's fantastic. It's not just flowery, roses are red, violets are blue. I mean, it, it really is some phenomenal stuff. No, absolutely. And, and we've discussed this before, but, you know, I discovered really who Robert E. Howard was through um, – uh, oh, uh, the book uh, Mythos and the Kindred Spirits. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And um, in that story, it, in that book, it includes several of his poems. And so I knew who he was, but until David Drake published that story and, and the introduction, that's when he really became a person to me. And so the first thing I ever read that was that I acknowledge this is from a writer named Robert E. Howard. It's his poem Arkham. Oh, uh, yeah. And and you've done some panels over the years at various conventions talking about, well, various things, including the origin of Arkham and, and what Arkham was and who really came up with Arkham first and that sort of thing. That's a good one. Yeah. So, so um, Lovecraft came with the, Ar- the city of Arkham and, Robert E. Howard came up with Arkham Sanitarium, which later would become DC's, you know, Arkham Asylum, as a tribute to his friend Lovecraft. Exactly. So, and I, I think we may have mentioned this too, but you know, I've, I've, this poem when I was most of my life was probably my favorite poem ever written. Now I've got more experience with poems, so it's still in the top five, and it's probably a little controversial now. But uh, when silence falls on Mecca's walls, that was the first time I ever read a poem that was a full story. I don't remember what the first poem I read or heard read aloud. That that was a, a story as opposed to stringing a bunch of amazing words together and creating this kind of mood 
uh, as opposed to doing a narrative story. I don't remember what the first story was that, or the worst, first poem was that did that. But Howard did it a lot, so <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if it was him. He, he, he absolutely did a lot. Uh, what are maybe some of your favorite uh, story poems? Oh, I'm going to go to Howard. I have to, right? I mean, unless you want me to do something non-Howard, because I can tell you, like, the Charge of the Light Brigade's awesome. But, um, you know, as far as Robert E. Howard goes, my favorite up until recently Robert E. Howard poem was Dead Man's Hate. Okay. That's an excellent one. In fact, I just reread that last night. You maybe want to share the audience a little bit with that story? or? Yeah, sure. So it's the impression I get is that it took place, and I don't know why, it's not like there's really anything in the, the words that say this is where it is, but it, it feels like it takes place like in an old West town. Is that the vibe you get? Yeah, yeah. And I, I get a, that's kind of my default on Howard. If he doesn't specifically say someplace it's somewhere, that's kind of where I default all of his stories. Right, because he did do a lot of, of Western work, and he always wanted to write like a, a great Western, so that's where I would set it. Um there's this guy, John, and they hang him, and he uh, he, he doesn't want to get hung, <laughs> and, and he hates this guy in town uh, so much that despite the fact that he's been hung and left for dead, he comes back and goes after this other guy, and the, the chase through town and the imagery again, once again, I don't know how you feel about any of these poems being read, but I, I'd like to read a passage if that's okay. I think that'd be amazing. I think the audience would love that. So this isn't the complete thing, but this comes from, this is like right in the middle of it. Uh, and it's just as um, John Farrell has caught up with Adam Brand. Then Adam shrieked like a soul in hell. The red blood left his face, and he reeled away in a drunken run through the screaming marketplace. And close behind, the dead man came with a face like a mummy's mask, and the dead joints cracked and the stiff legs creaked with their unwanted task. It's imagery, it's storytelling, it's horror. I don't know what more And, and it's this poetry <laughs> discipline. Yeah. You know, he could have he could have easily written that as a short story. It would have worked very well. Mm-hmm. But it's so more he 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 took the time to craft it into a poem. Yeah, I could see this being expanded into a short story. I've fantasized over the years about seeing this adapted as a short short film. Oh, I was I was thinking that that would be an amazing you know Lovecraft film festival or something. It would mm-hmm. yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah. You know, the final line, for stronger than death or hemp and noose are the fires of a dead man's hate. Ah, man. And, and you know, there's so many love poems, but I can't think of many hate poems. But it, <laughs> right? hate, hate is a strong emotion, maybe not a good emotion, but it's a strong <laughs> emotion as love. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, this is this is one of the ones for me. But like I said, up until recently, this was my favorite. I have actually started drifting toward another poem of his lately, and, and that's become my favorite. And I'm not sure exactly why or how it got to that point for me, but in these days, my favorite Robert E. Howard poem is A Song of the Werewolf Folk. Are you familiar with that one? Vaguely. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm sure I've read it, and it's ringing bells. It's... Um. 
I stumbled across it either on a, like a CD of spoken poetry or one of the Robert E. Howard collections or something. And the imagery again in that just really struck with me or stuck with me. And, yeah, and it, Oh no, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. I was just shivering. Cause I like it. <laughs> you know, that kind of sort of, um, you know, Lovecraft was a p- poet. Mm-hmm. He was not as good a poet. He was not as good a poet. In fact, really, of only the Lovecraft poems that I like are, you know, the fungi from Ugoth. But his, uh, he did do, um, oh, uh, Psychocampus, which mm-hmm. is basically a werewolf poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lovecraft was really good with the structure of poetry. He he understood what made an epic, you know, uh, what how many syllables you needed here, what needed to rhyme there. He knew the structure really well. And Howard did too, but Howard infuses a different kind of life into that structure that I don't get from uh, from Lovecraft. Absolutely. And, and it's, I think his poems are more relatable. Well, I mean, as far as, you know, not being a werewolf or something. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I know that. In fact, a lot of Howard poems, of course, were not published in his lifetime. Um, uh, I said, you know, silence all falls on Mecca's wall. Uh, it's my research, uh, 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 the mythos and kindred, or Cthulhu and the uh, kindred mythos, in 1986, I think, was the first publishing, or 1989. Howard left us way too soon but he left so much unpublished and unfinished work behind uh up until recently i i don't know if there's anything left to discover (laughs) at this point but over the years man if you look at robert e howard publications whether it's zines or magazines or anthologies or whatever they're always finding something that didn't get published during his yeah. lifetime. I've got a book here, a big thick book called the last of the trunk. That was supposedly the last of all the unpublished Robert E. Howard yeah. stuff. No, of course there's been more stuff that's come out since then, but still it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, the one thing that I kind of, when I started reading here, there, was, I found recently in like the last couple of weeks, a type of poetry by Howard that I did not suspect to get. And that was poetry that is a story being told from a woman's perspective. Oh, which one I don't know that if be? you're familiar with that, but he wrote quite a bit. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard, um, oh, uh, it's, oh, oh, the choir girl. Okay. So the choir girl is the story, and I'm not going to read the poem, but uh, you can, people, you can get, get this online. Uh, it, it it, but so there's this girl sitting in a, um, a choir loft during church and the, the church elder is sitting next to her and this guy, he just sounds, you know, he's braying like a jackass. He's playing, singing so off tune. I can't stand it. And then he, she looks down at the church and she sees all these women who are, uh, you know, looking all prim and proper. She goes, I know you're not like that. I, You know, sitting in church trying to make everybody look like you're pious. I hope you get blisters on your butt. And she goes, <laughs> you know, I'm basically only here because I want to have sex with the minister. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, and there's quite, and, and every, 
and, and and you know we all do it when we write but um all of these um a lot of howard stories i see howard as the main character and of all these stories uh, poems that he wrote and i'm not sure any of them i think they were probably just for his friends i don't think any of them were published in his lifetime the, the girls are pining after a guy. I, I, I'm sure it was Howard. I, I'm sure Howard imagined himself as the minister there. <laughs> but there's, there's another one, you know, where the college girl, she, she's getting all A's, but, you know, she, just, she could maybe just be her friend that goes out dancing. So there's quite a few poems out there that he actually wrote from a woman's perspective, which surprised me because he did do strong, for the time, I thought, strong female characters. I don't think he ever wrote anything from a, as a woman's perspective in his, his prose. So there was one character uh, referred to in one of the collections out there called Dark Agnes okay. that, that he wrote uh, a couple of stories of, but not very many. Uh, I think there's only like one or two that he completed. Um, the very first Dark Agnes story, the name of which is escaping me right now, is really good. It's just straight up adventure. There's no magic. There's no sorcery. Nothing like that. Then the follow-up stories, he starts introducing some more supernatural elements. And I feel like it kind of loses something there at that point. But the first Dark Agnes story, I believe it's called Sword Woman. If I remember correctly now that I think about it, is excellent. But again, that didn't get published. (laughs) So the same way Conan and all those did. Yeah. Um. Another uh, poem that I was reading recently that I really like, you know, where he, he's telling the story from the, the perspective of a female, but this one, it's the mountains of California, where it talks about the people going over the mountains of California from the conquistadors and to the airplanes and that, you know, and their feelings and emotions. And then you realize at the end, he's telling the story from the perspective of the mountain. Mm, you know, yeah. he said, these guys have their passions, but, you know, I'm... I'm going to outlive them. Yep. Yeah, that's another really good one as well. Another really good one as well. And in a lot of ways, I think, and, and I have to admit, I've, I've read a lot of Howard, but there's a lot of Howard I have not read. And I have only read his boxing stories from um, the ones that have superna- supernatural aspects. But he, wrote, yeah. he was a big boxing fan. He wrote a lot of boxing poems. Yeah, he actually would box his buddies in town behind the <laughs> behind where the, they weren't supposed to be drinking beer, but they were about, out, about back, you know. Um, yeah. there, there are some famous pictures of him stri- striking a boxing pose. It's interesting, if nothing else. <laughs> but those stories are good. Yeah. Yeah, but, but he wrote poems to, to John Sullivan and Jack Dempsey, all the, the major mm-hmm. fighters. You know, he wrote poems about their fighting. And he had another poem that, where he's the boxer. And what he's talking about is how the crowd, how, you know, he's losing and then the crowd cheers. The crowd gives him energy. You know, what a perfect idea for a poem, how I'm taking energy from other people and turning it into a result, you know, the, the, you know, we have musicians who write, you know, songs about how the crowd affects them and how singing, but uh, that's just an amazing poem. I 
among other things, I'm a fan of professional wrestling. And a lot of the pro wrestling that I watch right now has to happen in empty arenas because of what's going on in the world, the pandemic and all that. And you will, you can, if, if you're into this sort of thing, dig a little deeper and, and hear interviews with a lot of these performers that the energy just isn't the same because there's nobody in the crowd to draw that energy from. So see that Howard was able to identify that as well back then when there wasn't mass media, you know, again, you can't sit around and watch the boxing match on TV. You know, you have to read about it in the newspaper if nothing else. It's just the foresight and, and the understanding of how that works back then. is just incredible to me. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, so um, and to be honest, if you and I were sitting, of course, socially distanced, wearing masks, sitting outside, sure. you know, eating our food, you and I could probably have this discussion for hours and hours. Oh, of course. I'm not sure my audience can was <laughs> <laughs> willing to, to invest that much. But do you have anything that you'd like to maybe share with the audience uh, or anything before as we kind of wrap this up? Read some Robert E. Howard poetry, folks. It's so good, and there's so much of it out there. I, I highly, highly recommend it. Again, Dead Man's Hate, Song of the Werewolf Folk. There's another poem out there called The More Ghost. It's good and spooky, but again, it's just mm, really, really good stuff. I myself am not a poet. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I don't know if I would even dare try to at this point after having read so much amazing poetry over the years, not just Howard, but other poems as well. I'm a big fan of Robert Frost. Uh, so to see that it's just so intimidating, there's no way, but I do write other things. And is that kind of where we're going here? You want me to pit myself? Well, I, I would love if you would do that. <laughs> I didn't want to take over until you no, told no, me no, it was no, okay. Would, so yeah. I love you too. All right. So yes, I, I am a writer uh, on top of doing the podcast monster kid radio. Uh, which you can find at monsterkidradio.net. Uh, I am also an author. I have a book out there right now that you can find at marktemple.com. Mark is spelled with a C. So it's M-A-R-C temple.com. And that will take you to the Amazon page where you can pick up your very own copy of Monster Hunter for Hire, Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, Volume 1. It's available for ebook as well as Dead Tree uh, editions uh, if you'd like to get your own paperback edition you pick it up that way as well and if you run into me at a convention i might even have a copy or two in my bag and i'll even sign it for free but you can pick that up uh, right now i do have a couple of other projects on the side as well um you know i mentioned role-playing games earlier i'm slowly getting ready to kind of launch a uh yeah a role-playing game thing uh, you can find that at dicemonsterdice.com That'll give you some links that'll show you where that's set up on Facebook and Twitter and especially YouTube, which is a YouTube channel, the Dice Monster Dice YouTube channel, something that I'm slowly starting to grow. And you can see some more activity there where I'll also be posting uh, some homebrew campaign setting material for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, but much more sword and sorcery and a lot less high magic. So you're going to see some homebrew material coming from me that feels a lot more like coward because that's, that's how I roll, man. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, as much as in DB and I did about, you know, our favorite edition and as much as uh, of D and D uh, last month, 
And as much as I love, you know, 5e, it, it could use more of that. You know, I'm just now coming to 5e after being away from gaming for a long time. And I'm a little overwhelmed with how much magic there is. And I know that's a, an appeal for a lot of people. But it really feels like there's just way too much <laughs> magic. I really prefer my, my D&D campaign for the magic to be, well, magic. You know, instead yeah. of everywhere. Because if it's everywhere, it's just, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. my, my creative writing teacher, who also introduced me to Robert E. Howard, introduced me to D&D. So, yeah, a, a Howard fan taught me how to role play. So, yeah, that's exactly where my head's at. <laughs> and also, just if you, the audience, are interested in Robert E. Howard poems, many, many of them are online. And if you just go type in, you know, Robert E. Howard poems, you'll find many of them in you know different websites all collected or uh there's a uh, a collected a collection of poem of poetry by robert e howard uh which i just picked up from uh, amazon and i paid i think 7.99 mm-hmm. and it is uh, read books limited but if you i i just went in typed in uh robert e howard poetry in amazon and it's about 130 pages and, uh, you know, with Prime, no charge for shipping. And I, I, like I said, I think I paid $7.99 for it. Yeah, uh, because so much of it's in the public domain, a lot of it can be picked up pretty easily or found online pretty easily. The Robert E. Howard Foundation did put out a collection of the complete Robert E. Howard poetry. It is out of print and it goes for incredibly high prices. But... If you can get your hands on it, man, it's well worth it. Otherwise, yeah, like the collection that David just mentioned, uh, there's another press out there, uh, White Press, who just who put out a couple of years ago a collection of poetry by Robert E. Howard. It runs for about $15. But, yeah, I mean, go online and find it yourself, allpoetry.com. If you go there, you can look up Robert E. Howard, as well as a bunch of other poetry, but you can look up Robert E. Howard. He's, they've got like 19 of them posted there, including a couple of the ones that I mentioned, the werewolf one and uh, the other ones that I've mentioned as well. So you can find those there pretty easily too. Well, again, this is Radio Free Oleander, and we are wrapping up the Farmer Dave show. And Derek, we are so excited and are so glad that you were a guest and hope to have you back soon. I would love to come back to talk more about poetry, role-playing games, or uh, what I need to do to get that Tierra. Uh, we're working on it. <laughs> hey, do you think a triple A will tow this? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think we got to figure something out before uh, everyone comes back. <laughs> I don't know whose uh, truck that was. <laughs> it's the last episode of the month, so we're breaking the fourth wall. We're just going to do it as a segment instead of the whole episode. So, so, so oh, wait, wait, it's ready. I just pushed over the fourth wall. It fell. Dust flew up. Fourth wall has been broken. <laughs> okay, so... Too bad Deadpool, Deadpool was on the other side. <laughs> Deadpool's the guy who looks like Spider-Man, right? Uh, kind of. <laughs> Spider-Man with a sword. Okay, cool. <laughs> I know who Deadpool is, but sometimes it's just funny to be like, oh, Wolverine, he's the guy with the pointy hair, right? That's that's his thing? He's got pointy hair? Well, he, no, nah, he's, the, he's, the he's the guy with the, the mutton chops. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Chris Claremont Wolverine, where he's got, like, the blue-black hair that's always, like, super pointy. 
but yeah. 70s Wolverine. Um, but yeah, no, definitely had the mutton chops. Uh, but we're talking about... Uh... Yeah, so so for those of us, or for those of you who haven't heard or watched uh, before, the last episode, the last part of the last episode of the month, we drop the, the DV producer and the Farmer Dave persona, and we become our real people, and we talk about our real lives, and, uh-huh. and um, yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Hey, how's uh, how's how's the farm going, Dave? Pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, and, and you know, we do crossover sometimes. So, uh-huh. so we are, like we said in the show, we are putting on goat coats, and we've got a couple of well, a couple of the bucks that just uh, they're not doing that good in the weather because of uh, intestines. They're just so you know. Well, we won't make this the goat hour, but. You know, um, if they don't eat, they don't keep warm. So we yeah. had to bring a couple of the bucks into the the barn. But other than that, um, so I understand we got a letter. Yeah, yeah, mailbag. Uh, Mateo writes, where is Oleander? Mateo can't find Oleander on a map. And I figured since we're breaking the fourth wall, might be a good time to talk about where... Oleander is. So Oleander exists mainly in our imagination. Yes. It is based upon the city that I actually live in, in Estacada, uh-huh. and as well as a city that you've experienced, correct? Yes, yes. Um, so there is no actual Oleander, um, and, but, yes. Um, you're not the first person to think that it's a real place, including some of the stuff I put online. My mom thought I was talking about a real city, so you know, don't don't feel bad. So uh, Oleander, Oleander is in our hearts. Yeah, Oleander is all around us. But yeah, so so physically though, and I think we kind of you and I have different ideas to exactly where it is. To oh, me, yeah. it's where where Estacada is. Okay. And I have it uh, placed kind of roughly where Kellogg, Oregon is off of, I think, Highway 26. Just kind of like, I kind of like picked a place that was like between Boring and Sandy. And it's like, roughly it's about here. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so, so, so I have it. So in, in reality, um, Estacada is like on the other side of Sandy. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, but but fictitiously, it's in northern Clackamas County. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a it it it. I don't want to say it floats up and down the highway, but it kind of floats up and down the highway, and <laughs> we kind of decided to do that. Maybe it has a couple of exits. <laughs> yeah, some service roads that really stretch a long way. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh. Yeah, Oleander, Oregon. It's a it's a fun place, and you've uh, really created a, a, a kind of a cool playground for uh, I don't know to to create stuff. And I don't know. I I think it would be fun to if anyone had anything that uh, not to necessarily add to Oleander, but you know stuff that they've heard on the show. If they ever wanted to like write a story or a mystery or something like that, I, we'd love to play it or something. Uh, 
if if people wanted to like I would love to yeah like if people wanted to do like I don't know anything related to Oleander that we've talked about or anything like that we'd love to hear about it uh, you know, we're not expecting people to get excited about, like, this original intellectual property that uh, Dave's created and I've helped out with. But, hey, if you want to, that's totally fine. We don't care. It's, that'd be cool. Yeah, but, but, but if you do, please. You know, I, I'm not sure if it was part of the, the pre-talk or, or part of the interview when I was talking to uh, Byron Kraft. Uh-huh. But he said he he thought it was a lot like a sort of a... Uh, uh, Lovecraft meets uh, Lake Wobegon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I I like to think of it's it's kind of like what if uh, yeah, no, no. What if uh, Lake Wobegon uh, was uh, took place in Silent Hill? <laughs> it has this kind of like whimsicalness, but it also has this like dark, terrible underbelly. <laughs> it's like I don't want to say it's like. It's it's kind of like somewhere in between Twin Peaks and Northern Exposure. <laughs> it, it yeah, exists. So the, 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 there's a, I think a lot of, of quirky cities that are kind of its its predecessor, spiritual yeah, definitely, predecessor. Definitely. Yeah. No. No. And uh, for me personally, it's like living in a small town and like all the strangers and wackadoos and characters and personalities that exist in. I don't know, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be that far from a town, but, like, if you live just kind of, like, out in, like, the fringe outskirts of, like, a city or a town, or if you live in a small town that's just a couple of hours, of, well, a uh, couple, even, like, uh, half an hour away from, like, the big city or something like that, you, you have these, like, fun, cool, eclectic little small towns that, I don't know, I've had... Uh, experiences of living in like little college towns and little like uh factory towns and uh i don't know i don't know it's uh if if you've uh, experienced it you kind of know what we're talking about with some of this stuff and some of this stuff is kind of uh i don't know i think we we poke fun at portland a little bit here and there and you know it's 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 all in good fun we're not making fun of anyone uh personally i'm I'm, because uh, we'd be making fun of ourselves yeah i was about to say uh with uh the db character who actually really isn't that far removed from me um yeah no no just pretty much making fun of ourselves (laughs) so So. real life quirkiness you know so the big difference you know i say between me and and farmer dave Uh is you know i've got Farmer Dave, you know, for the storyline, for it to make sense, he basically had to be on his own. Yeah. So, me, I have this huge family support. Uh And, yes, I actually do live on a goat farm, but it's not my goat farm. It's my sister and Uh brother-in-law, you know, my mom and my aunt, you know, my niece and nephew. And so, you know, so basically, we got the six people here for our Thanksgiving, right? Uh But at my... My, my, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my brother-in-law hates holidays. Okay. And, and it's because it, he was the Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving and the Norman Rockwell Christmas and the Norman Rockwell Easter were just forced down his throat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we have to disguise holidays. So we basically make <laughs> up our own holidays. So Thanksgiving this year is going, well, it, Luchadora and Day of the Dead. <laughs> we got Luchadora masks. We're going to have, you know, Turkey burritos, 
you know, uh, we're going to play Coco and uh, Nacho Libre and, you know, the first 10 minutes of Spectre. The, the rest, of, that's the only Bond movie I didn't make through. Uh-huh. But that first 10 minutes, the dead, Day of the Dead scene, that's amazing. Huh. You know, and uh, and then my niece and nephew have gotten sick. Not, not you know, not COVID or anything, yeah. you know, just seeing all the the head cold and so we kind of we, we had all this stuff we had you know the art and we we made like uh, turkey posters with chicken luchadoras and stuff and oh that's crazy and, and day of the dead chickens and we got a whole and we got to postpone it crazy cool <laughs> yeah but that's that's the advantage of everybody you know the, your maximum capacity living on your property yeah well you yeah. just move it to the next weekend <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I personally am staying home for Thanksgiving, and uh, I've got two projects going on. One is removing a wall between my living room and my kitchen, uh, going for an open uh, concept thing that we're working on. And then okay. the, the other thing is I, I don't have a huge house, so uh, it's it's something Sarah wants to do. She wants to take out this wall so that it creates this more open atmosphere that connects the living room sure. to the kitchen so yeah and the other thing is i'm working on a matt gray uh gibson firebird style electric guitar like the whole thing is matt gray and it's supposed to look and have kind of like the uh look and sheen of an aged playstation one and the fret markers are and uh, various uh, mark uh, markations upon the guitar are all uh, Space Invader uh, <laughs> iconography. Oh, nice. Yeah, and, and, and nice. like there's like the flying UFOs from the uh, cabinet, and yeah, there's there's uh, it says Space Invaders on the uh, body of the guitar in English and in Japanese. Uh, it shows you oh, how cool. many lives you've got, and yeah, no, it's 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 just this goofy project, and you know, it's like any project that I ever do, I generally like hide things in it so that you have to like hold it up to the light a certain way and go, oh wow, here's a map, or, <laughs> or it's like it's supposed to look like an old piece of used construction equipment, but it's a guitar, or uh, for this one, it's it's supposed to look like a beat up old uh, video game console. But it's a guitar, and then I, I was I was gonna make it look like an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, but I'm like, that's too easy. Let's do something different. Let's do something fun with the paint. So I tried to make it look like a weird Sun Aged PlayStation PlayStation One. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what I've got going on, and I think we're having taquitos just because we've got a bunch of taquitos in the fridge. But some something I want to say: if you are having turkey. And you like food from Mexico? I have to say, um, uh, mole uh, uh, turkey oh. turkey with mole is amazing. And yeah, Ooh, okay, yeah, have to, uh, yeah. We're, we're having turkey burritos, and um, somehow my aunt came across a whole bunch of MRE tacos. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. That sounds like something out of. Radio Free Oleander, the uh, fictional part. <laughs> Are they good? Or well, they're edible? Oh, no. 
um, yeah, and I just want to say thanks again for uh, to Mateo for writing in. And if you want to write in, if you've got questions for uh, fourth wall breaking stuff, if you've got questions for I don't know anyone in town, you want to find out something, we'll we'll run out and we'll ask them questions. If you want to ask us questions, we can ask questions. You have technical questions for me, goat questions for Farmer Dave. We'll figure stuff out. We'll we'll, we'll get something done. Yeah. Oh, uh, and, and real quickly too, uh, I'm excited about next month, December. Ooh, besides what's... the fact that it's going to be the end of 2020, it's yeah. going to be scary Christmas. Scary Christmas. Yeah, yeah. and we've got some uh, some just amazing horror writers, and we're going to talk about things such as uh, the Final Girl trope, uh, combining horror with things like science fiction and westerns. Nice. Uh, and just uh, yeah, so. Um, it's going to be a really good month. Cool. Very cool. All right. Um, and hey, before we uh, take off, is there anything that you're watching out there right now or reading comics you've you've been checking out? So I, I'm, I've got to admit, I'm, I'm catching up on um, um, Lovecraft Country. Yeah, yeah, cool. And, and I saw a movie that I really liked Yeah. that everybody apparently hates. What was that? Uh, it's on Hulu, uh, Dustwalker. Huh, I haven't seen that. It, 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 it's a, it came out last year. It's like this little town in Australia, it's Australian, where this meteorite crashes. And the whole town gets completely surrounded by this dust storm, so they can't leave. Nobody can come and help them. And it's, it's not zombies, but it's zombie-like with a Lovecraft monster. Ooh. And, and I'll admit, it jumps around. It doesn't pick a character. It just jumps around these characters. It's probably not... I mean, I mean, it could have been edited. It's very jumpy editing. I guess that's why a lot of people hate it. And when you finally see the monster, the CGI is not that good. But I have this incredibly high tolerance for bad cti is is there a scene with with flashlights and a dust storm and stuff like that i'm sorry i'm I'm like Uh, trying to figure out if i've seen this town i'm trying to figure out if i've seen this there's kind of like a scorpion monster it's like a lovecraftian scorpion monster with tentacles that like grabs the zombies oh man part of me is like i think i saw this in like 2018 but i don't know when it came out. So it only came out in 2019. Okay, then I haven't seen this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I... And it's very Australian, but uh, I cared about the characters. I cared about, you know, are they going to make it? Um, like I said, if, if your your big thing is about, cho- you hate choppy editing, uh-huh. you'll hate it. But I, I liked it. Huh. Nice. Nice. I saw a film myself that I thought was pretty darn amazing. Uh, it's Jim Jarmusch, Jim Jarmusch, uh, whichever you prefer, as uh, The Dead Don't Die, I think it's called. It's uh, a zombie film that uh, acclaimed... Does, it have, does it have Adam Driver in it? Uh, Adam Driver, that's... Uh, um, Kylo Ren. Okay, I was, I was I was trying to remember his character. Yes, yes, that's the one that has... Uh, okay, uh, so I've seen the commercials. I've seen the commercials. Yeah, I, I, I personally enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I, you know, and Bill Murray, right? Yeah, Bill Murray. Yeah, no, no. There's uh, quite a few people that are in it. Um, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover. I mean, it's just like, it's uh, Tom Waits is in it. Uh, Iggy Pop, uh, Chloe Savini. Uh, there's like just 
insane amount of people in it, and it's like some are zombies, and you're like, who? I know that. Per oh, who is that? Oh, and it's like you see living people, and you're like, oh, I don't know who that is. But then there's zombies later, and you're like, oh, I see. Okay. But <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I've, I've heard it's good. It is I've, really I've good. It's good. I I really like uh, Jim Jarmusch. I really liked his TV show, Fishing with John. Uh, that was on IFC in what early, early, uh, early two thousands, I think. But yeah, if, if if you haven't seen Fishing with John, pick it up. He, uh, Jim Jarmish goes. Uh, no, 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 not no. Jim Jar. Oh no, he's a uh, first guest. It's uh, oh man. Anyway, Fishing with John, check that out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but uh, uh, the dead don't die. I'm pretty sure is the name of the title. I I enjoyed that. I liked that. Um, I can't think of anything else that I've really been checking out that isn't, uh, like my own personal projects or podcasts that everyone, uh, their sister listens to, but. The, the other thing I'm catching up on is, um, Stumptown. I don't know what that is. So Stumptown is about Portland. Uh-huh. And it's about, it's about a... Um, female detective. It's based on a, a Greg uh, Rucka uh, comic book. Okay. Um, and um, you know, um, and unfortunately, it was renewed for a second season. So she's basically this bad luck detective who's ex-military who has this terrible love life. And, and, and Greg Greg uh, was at a Comic Con last year, and he okay. described it as. Basically, Dex—that's the the female character. Uh -huh. She is the embodiment of Portland. Got Her heart's it. in the right place, but she doesn't always make the right decision. <laughs> and, and so she it kind of leads her, um, and it's just really well done. And um, they they renewed it, but it got canceled because they couldn't continue because of COVID. Gotcha. They couldn't continue shooting COVID, and so the first, especially the. I saw the first episode at uh, Comic Con, and it was fun watching. Okay, that's Portland because there's the the deer sign. Then they drive under what's supposed to be the Burnside Bridge. No, that that's Canada. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> what's Canada? What's Portland? Yeah. Uh, and they yeah. were supposed to do a, actually a lot more uh, Portland scenes in it huh. in, in the second season, but it looks yeah. like we're just not going to get it. So. Huh. Uh, I'm 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 finishing up the the first season of, uh, of Stumptown, cool. which um, which when they leave Greg Rucka's writing, uh -huh. I mean it's a good series anyway. They had to change it, but you you could definitely it, it, when they leave stuff from the comic books, that's when it's best. Gotcha. Sounds cool. I'll have to check it out. All right, everyone. Uh, we will see you in December for uh, Scary Christmas and some other holidays, too, I'm sure. And, <laughs> uh, anything you need to say there, uh, Farmer Dave? Uh, be safe, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving. And um, uh, we'll see you next week in December. Yeah, uh, we'll see you next week in December, everyone. Thank you so much. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Uh, tell tell your ma. Tell your pa. Um, anything else, Dave? Nah. Thanks, Mateo. <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs>